Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 220. Before we get to this week's guest, you know, I'd like to mention some achievements from around the college golf landscape. Congrats to Jackson Suber and Ole Miss for capturing the clean sweep at White Sands in the Bahamas. Suber with the individual win that is going to help him tremendously in the PGA Tour U standings and the Rebels as a team captured the team title. Nice way for them to enter the break. But I also need to finally recognize one of the hottest teams of the fall coming out of the Big 12 Conference. Yeah, you guessed it. I'm talking about the Kansas Jayhawks. What? You thought I was going to say Oklahoma. Yeah, they've had a great fall as well. You know, they won at Eastlake recently, and I saw them win at Merido. No disrespect to Coach Hibble and the rest of the Sooners, but Kansas, yeah, Rock Chalk, yeah, Kansas has won four consecutive stroke play events in the fall. They just ended the season with their win in Hawaii. They won by 20. So uh, whatever's going on at KU... Uh, congrats to them. As you can imagine, I will be catching up with Luke Kluver, Harry Hillier, the rest of the Jayhawks in the spring, and might actually need to get one of them or maybe Coach Burmel on the podcast. So, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, uh, incredible performance in the fall. My guest on this episode is Henry Shimp. Way back in 2019, which seemed so long ago, Shimp was part of the national championship team that defeated Texas at the Blessings in Arkansas. We spoke about that spring run to the national championship, which had several ups and downs and pivotal moments. We spoke about his decision to return to Stanford for one more chance at a title. And hey, when you have Phillips and Yang and Thorbornson, why wouldn't you? But it's not just golf. No, he's also getting a master's degree. This guy is going to leave Stanford with at least one ring, two degrees, a lifetime worth of experiences. I mean, he's got it all. But just when you think he's too smart to be on the back of the range, that I would get confused or intimidated by his large vocabulary, that we wouldn't find a common ground, fear not. Because Henry Shimp, with everything that he has going for him, is also a golf podcaster. Yes, we spoke about his podcast, The Tie. Uh, link is in the show notes of this episode. And hey, I was a guest on that podcast. You can listen to that one and many others, but before you do that, let's let's dig into this episode. As always, if you like this podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with strangers. Make sure you're subscribed in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Every episode is available on the website, thebackoftherange.com. And you know the drill. We're on social media as well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is where a lot of the photos and videos that I captured throughout the season will be posted so make sure you go check that out let's get to this episode henry welcome to the back of the range how are you i'm good ben appreciate you having me on excited to talk tonight yeah man we uh, we've been trying to get this done for quite some time and uh, i'm glad we're able to finally catch up and and talk a lot we got a lot a lot to cover i mean uh, we have stanford to cover we have we have your own golf podcast to, t- to cover this is the back end of a home at home i was your guest on uh, the tie which is uh, your golf podcast we will talk about that a little bit later but i, I have to ask what has the uh, what has the blowback been 
since you had me on your podcast did did it survive do you still have listeners what's been the what's been the result of of my presence on your podcast oh i mean i i can hardly go out in public anymore you know i, I mean understand. i guess i guess podcasting is a voice medium but uh you know I, I walk around and people hear me talking and i think bringing you on uh just brought so many ears to the time mean, millions and millions of downloads on that episode and wow. so well, it's been tough, but, uh, but you know, it's lonely at the top. So at least I have you to, um, to enjoy that with. I, I, I can just imagine what it's been like for you. Probably can't even, can't even go on campus right now. Can you, I mean, you're, you're, you're the face of Stanford golf right now. Well, on campus, I'm safe because you have to wear a mask still. And so I understand. I can go out there and I can, you know, I can not speak and, be anonymous a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, it's a little tough. I understand. Well, you'll get through it. Uh, you know, the wave will, will, will crash, uh, soon enough. You'll, you'll have other, many, many other guests on there and they will, they will take the, the limelight. Uh, I do appreciate you giving me the title, uh, of the King, uh, amateur golf's King of content that, uh, that's going to stick for at least another half hour, I think. So, um, <laughs> you, you mentioned, uh, you know, I was kind of joking there about the face of, of Stanford golf. Um, is it fair to say that Rose Zhang is the face of Stanford golf right now? Uh, I think that is extremely fair. Absolutely. Yeah. Rose, Rose is on a heater to say the least. So I think that is extremely fair. Stanford women have won their first three tournaments of the season. Rose has won the individual titles at those three tournaments. Uh, I know you guys spent a lot of time out at the farm. I know that the, that that beautiful practice facility that I've still yet to get to, but I know that it is uh, it is a very popular place. Um, what's I, you know, I've asked this question many times, but what, what is the dynamic between the men's and the women's team at Stanford? Are there a lot of games? Uh, you know, what is your kind of front row seat to this right now? It's yeah, it's a good question. Um, as you already touched on, I, I definitely am on the older side of things. And so yes. I guess seeing as, as I didn't like play junior golf with some of the girls, I don't know them quite as well as I have some of the ones, you know, two, three years ago. Sure. Um, so, so I can't answer the question quite as well as I would have been able to in kind of 2017, 18, 19. But no, nonetheless, I would say that it's always been a great relationship. We'll, we'll get out on course sometimes for like actual team practices and have matches and you know i've had tons of friends on the women's team over the year i mean a a few of my very closest friends are people that have played on the women's team and so we would always get out after practice and go play a few holes have putting contests all those sorts of things and we share the same building for um for our locker rooms theirs is on one side ours is on the other and so we're always kind of mingling with them and, and just having a good time so yeah i would say that the two teams are very close and it really does to some degree almost feel like one massive team. And, you know, it's so, it's so fun to have, especially a year like this where both teams are off to a good start, them a little bit more so than us, but uh, you know, year over year, we do usually have two quite successful teams. And so, um, you know, kind of being able to push each other is, is really exciting. And I mean, they, I I don't know how many trophies they've hauled in over my time here. Luckily we've had a couple as well, but, uh, but it's not quite to the level that the women's team has been at. And so, you know, that's always a little added motivation to try to not let one side of the clubhouse fill up the trophy case too fast. Well, you guys, like you said, you are having a great, uh, great fall. I was there at Colonial when you guys picked up the team win, had a fantastic final round. I think you finished third, tied for third somewhere in that neighborhood. But yeah, you and, 
and and Phillips and and Thor just you know had a really great finish on that last day to kind of you know chase down some of the other teams and get that team title. Most of the people in college golf that I'm talking to right now are are kind of shutting it down. The fall season is coming to a close, but you guys have one more tournament. You know, we're talking just at the early parts of November right now, and you have to. Well, when I say you have to, you get to go to Pebble Beach to play in the St. Mary's Invitational. So let's just get you on the bad side of every listener right now because while they're <laughs> waiting for snow to arrive and they're putting the clubs away, you're going to go to Pebble Beach. Um, obviously, you're looking forward to this, finishing the fall strong, but let's kind of look at your entire career. Can you maybe just throw out there one of the experiences you've been able to have at Stanford as far as, you know, there's tons of experiences, but as far as a golf course, a golf experience that is bucket list for anyone else and for you it's just maybe another just date on the calendar or an outing uh with with a with an you know something golf related that people would be like oh my gosh really this kid gets to do that i'm trying to decide how much i should make people dislike me here i'll, I'll, I'll build I'll you just... back up later so you can dig a hole i will i'll big i'll build you back up later by the end everyone's gonna love you don't worry about it Okay, perfect. Well, I'll, I'll dig a hole and then I'll like dig a tunnel through it. Okay, um, perfect. So, so in 2019, fall of 2019, we hosted a match play event, which we do kind of every four-ish years at Cypress Point. So kind of sticking on the, the Pebble Beach thread here. Why not? Um, and so it was practice round um, and, and we each had our own caddy, which is obviously pretty neat. So sure. went out in a practice round in two balls with a teammate. Um, each with a caddy and then we played foursomes the first round excuse me four ball I believe the first round and then a foursomes match for the second round and then singles the final day Um, so I think yeah safe to say that that that's a pretty neat experience Jim Nance was our uh, guest speaker at the host dinner Um, did you get to go to his house did you get to his house to see that replica par three he has you know, I, I have been there. It was not for that event, but oh. uh, but I have seen that. It's pretty neat. Yeah, multiple you know, trips, really multiple cool. trips I, to uh, Jim Nance's house. Okay, I'm I'm not sure how much no, I can no, do. No, oh, so okay. we, <laughs> no, I just keep on going. That's but uh, no, we we didn't go for that. But um, but I have gotten the chance to see that before. It's pretty neat. But That's, um, yeah. yeah, I actually didn't realize going into that, Jim. Oh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get it wrong here, but his parents still live in Charlotte, which is where I'm from, Charlotte, North Carolina, and I do believe he spent some time there, um, actually actually living there, and so we were able to connect over that pretty quickly, which was neat. And so yeah, getting to talk to him is you know a bit surreal, but but so that's the hole. Um, now the tunnel to go even deeper into the hole. We because uh, you did say you know a golf course that that most people would just fantasize about that for sure. us is just kind of another day. We had a qualifying round at Cyprus once again this year, and look, if I ever get to a point where I'm not excited about playing Cyprus, then it's it's definitely time to hang the sticks up. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, the excitement the the third or fourth time through is maybe slightly less than it is the first time, and so yeah, being able to host that event there and then go back for qualifying rounds. I mean, we we definitely get to do some some pretty neat things, and fortunately, I would say that of all the guys that I've been on the team with, you know, the, the current group certainly withstands, we're not withstanding rather, um, you know, everyone's very thankful for all of that. And, and we recognize kind of how lucky we are to be able to do some of those things. So um, a lot of cool experiences without a doubt. 
Yeah, that's we're we're gonna we're gonna dig you out of that hole. It's gonna take some time, but I'm confident we can do that. But yeah, that's yeah, that's just something that <laughs> that is very unique and special with with you know a lot not just Stanford, but a lot of the big programs in the country, the the places that you guys get to go and the things you get to experience. It's uh, it's once in a lifetime. You mentioned Charlotte, North Carolina. Can't look past you know where you started, and also kind of interested to learn how you go go from you know, a, a solid junior career in Charlotte, uh, you know, picking up a couple state junior titles and then make your way, to, uh, you know, across the country all the way to Stanford. So we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But as you know, as someone that does listen to the back of the range, tell me how you get into the game of golf. Yeah, I, um, I didn't start all that young relative to at least people that play college golf, I think a lot of guys say that they start at, you know, two, three, four, you know, maybe the, the classic quote would be, I, I can't remember not playing or something along those lines, but I, I started playing closer to, I believe it was around nine or 10. Um, I, I played a lot of baseball growing up and that was really my first sport that I was actually pretty decent at. Sure. Um, and then started to play golf as well alongside baseball. And it, it got to where, the two conflict really more. I mean, people talk about the swings and, you know, being on different planes and how that's difficult. I never really struggled with that, but the seasons are the same. And so I got to where when I was in high school, both were in the spring and you kind of had to choose between the two. You can't right. really, you can't really pursue things at a high level if, if the high school season is, is the same. And so I just liked the individuality of golf. You know, I didn't have to rely on anyone else. This is, you know, as, as trite as it comes, but, didn't have to rely on teammates. If, if I played well, it was on me. If I played badly, it was on me. I was able to make my own decisions. And, you know, that's what really drew me to the game. And so, um, yeah, I guess starting out with my, with my dad, he's the one that got me into the game and, and, and his dad got him into it. And so just kind of a family thing. And um, I, I started to enjoy it and he got to, to where he, he figured he should maybe try to get me in a few tournaments and just see how I enjoyed that. And that's when it really got exciting. You know, I, I've always been super passionate about tournamented golf. It's just something that I, I love to do, love to see how well I can do, how, how many people I can go compete with. And so um, once I started really competing around 12 or 13, something like that, right. um, had a pretty good sense that I was probably going to keep playing for a while. So you play junior golf. You're, you're obviously it's it's not just a hobby. You're you're giving up things. You're making sacrifices, and you know, you know, you're making sacrifices to get yourself better. You like competition, and as you know, we discuss that you know very often here at the back of the range. It comes time where, okay, where you know, can I play in college? Am I good enough to do it? And you obviously are, you're, you're playing at Stanford. You, uh, you know, have had a great career there, but I, I'm always fascinated about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by the decisions that are made and where it takes that player and, you know, going from Charlotte and I'm, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm on pretty solid ground here, but your junior accolades and your achievements don't scream out, okay, this kid is destined to go to one of the top programs in the country. He's either going to go to Stanford or he's going to Oklahoma State Oklahoma State or Oklahoma. I mean, you know, good good career in the junior ranks, but not like, okay, this is a blue chipper that is immediately going you know, right up the ladder. So, and then there's also the fact of Stanford is incredibly challenging uh, academically. So I'm just curious, where, how did Stanford come into play 
and what decisions were were weighed or you know what what factors were weighed before he made that decision yeah well you're absolutely right that I was I was far from a blue chipper I mean I was a solid junior player I think I you know, I had a, a good on-course persona. I was a good student. I, I was a pretty good prospect just as, as a full package, but just going straight off of resume and scoring average, certainly, you know, nothing to write home about necessarily. But, um, you know, I looked at a bunch of ACC schools a little bit when I was earlier in high school at the Ivy League. I knew I wanted to go somewhere strong academically, um, but, you know, decided I wanted to play at a little bit higher level than that. But really got to where I guess it was um, – it was probably about October of my sophomore year. I, I had looked at all of the kind of the ACC schools that I wanted to and was getting very close to, to just pulling the trigger on that, not even, not even looking anywhere else. And my dad actually pushed me to, to reach out to Coach Ray and, and maybe see if there was going to be any sort of opportunity at Stanford. And I, w- I was pleased early on with, with the feedback that I got from Coach Ray. You know, he seemed to be interested. He liked kind of some of the, the softer things that I mentioned, you know, just the way that I – I handled myself and the right. way that we connected over the phone and whatnot and my, my academic profile. But I remember him saying that, Hey, we're, we're kind of recruiting one, maybe two guys. And one of the guys that we're looking at right now is this kid named Ryan Ruffles. I don't know if you know that name, but he's yeah. from Australia yeah. ended up turning pro actually. Um, but I mean, he was probably, I don't know, seven shots around better than me at that point. I mean, just not even close. And so, I was kind of like, all right, this is cool. I'll, I'll go take a visit because he said he, he wants me to come out, but uh, really didn't think that there was much prospect there. And and then all in the course of like one week, honestly, I, I remember popping a really nice ACT score. I took a visit that went well. There was a guy that dropped off the team at Stanford and Ryan Ruffles decided to turn pro. And so all of a sudden I kind of improved my lie as well as one guy, maybe two right. ended up being two guys, maybe three. And the one guy that I really thought was was definitely going to take one of those spots had, had turned pro. And so all of a sudden, what seemed like I was never going to have a chance at became very real. And that, so that first visit happened in probably October. And then I took another one. It might have actually been my junior year, not sophomore, but one of the two. Um, I ended up taking a second visit after that in January and at that point, it was it was pretty clear that, you know, if I if I wanted to, that I was going to have the opportunity to, to be on the team there at, at Stanford. And I, I was still, you know, I thought it was awesome, but was just a bit overwhelmed, honestly, with the whole thing. I mean, I've, I've I wouldn't call myself a homebody. Um, really not at all. I, I, I love where I'm from. I love the East Coast, but uh, would not call myself a homebody. But still, it's just it was a lot. It was far away and, um, you know, very, very different sort of group of people uh, in, a, in a really good way. I think that was in, in some ways what drew me to the place. But uh, I just struggled a little bit at age 16 or 17 to kind of yeah. get my hands around just just how incredible it is. I think that was almost the big thing is, you know, you alluded earlier to our practice facility, which we were absolutely getting to eventually. Um, but there's just so much going on that it, it feels like a lot to handle. Um, and I remember my dad just having kind of a, a, a stern talk with me of sorts of like, Hey, I don't care how overwhelmed you are. Like, I think you just need to go ahead and do this, you know? Um, and when he said that, I was like, okay, I, I guess I should think a little bit harder about this. And after really kind of putting some thought in, it only took me a few days to, to decide that, you can't really go wrong making that decision to go to Stanford. Right. And, um, 
man, I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I did. And I'm, I'm very grateful that, that you gave me that little nudge to really take the decision seriously. Well, you know, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that because that kind of hit upon this next topic, uh, you know, well, not the next topic, but just a, as a follow-up, you know, like you said, you're making this massive decision at 16 and you mentioned your dad, you know, I've, I've met both your parents at, at other, uh, I think USAM met your mom at colonial, you know, I don't know them very well, seem like great, great people, but I'm thinking about what parent at that, at that, that moment is not going to say to their kid, you got to go to Stanford because they're thinking, look, I'm sure my son or my daughter wants to be a big star on the PGA or LPGA tour and have the trophies and the endorsements and all that stuff. But you got to kind of, you know, play the percentages. It, it may or may not happen, but to get an education at Stanford, oh my gosh, this is a no brainer. So did, and I guess by you mentioning it, your dad kind of said, look, is that, is that basically what you're saying? Look, you got to do this. Or did they kind of help you make the decision on your, for yourself? Hey, I would definitely say the latter. Okay. Um, it was, it was certainly going to be my decision a hundred percent. They were never going to push me to, to go one place or the other, but the, the part where it does get a little bit more interesting is, you know, I mentioned, I won't, I won't say the school verbatim, but, but I mentioned that I was looking at a handful of other ACC schools and sure. There was one in particular that, that I had always been super interested in, which happened to be my dad's alma mater. And okay. that's where I always, that's where I always really wanted to go. Um, you know, had a good opportunity. I really did like everything there. And I mean, I, I vividly remember when we had that conversation of, of him telling me, Hey, I, I really think you should, you should be serious about going to Stanford. I, I was sitting there going into that conversation thinking like, I, I really want to go to, to the other school and, you know, I think he would be completely cool with that. Right. Right. He's a, following he's a big fan. following his footsteps. Went. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, he kind of nudged me to, to say, you know what, that's, that's a great opportunity, but I think that there could be one that's a little bit better. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think coach Ray certainly has, has my dad to thank to some degree <laughs> for me ending up on the farm. Well, you, you make it out to Stanford and, um, you know, I had your, your two teammates from the 2019 or two of your, two of your teammates from the 2019 national championship team. I had Brandon and Isaiah on the back of the range way back when. And I, I remember a lot of things about that episode. I didn't re-listen to it, uh, to to prepare for this one, but I do remember quite a few things. And one of the things I remembered was, I think both of them at the time were majoring in science, technology, and society, or I, I think that's what it was, which is your 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 one of your majors. And I just was like, I don't even know what that means. I mean, I, I know what those three words are. I, I don't know what this major means. How how as a freshman do you even navigate, okay, how the golf will take care of itself. Okay, I I, I understand that. But how do you navigate academics at Stanford? coming in as a freshman yeah i would say that it's not that bad um there, there are a handful of classes that you have to take so a couple sort of freshman writing classes and you know think, things of that nature and then beyond that i think it, it kind of goes one of two ways either you know you want to do something reasonably technical so so sts would fall more or less under that category maybe economics, um, what my master's is in, uh, management science and engineering, computer science, all of those class, all of those majors, you're going to take the same kind of three, four, five things as a freshman. 
And so if you think you're going to go the technical route, which most people probably have a pretty decent sense if that's going to be them, you're going to take just a, a certain set of classes in that, in that first year, or at least the first couple quarters. If you think that you're probably not going to do that, then you're going to skip those classes because a couple of them are not a whole lot of fun. And so, yeah. you know, like, you know, to throw a couple of the names out there, CS106A, that's kind of the, the first computer science class you're probably going to take. Um, math 51, the bane of every freshman's existence, you either are going to take those or you are going to avoid them at all costs. And so that's kind of how I would break down the way that people navigate it is, is if you think you're going to go technical, you're going to go ahead and go through with those things. And if you're not going to be technical, then you're just going to avoid them and, and take some stuff that is more fun and interesting. Well, um, you and I have gone to college, I think, for almost the exact amount of years. You're at your, you're in your sixth year at Stanford. I think I went to college for seven years. We're not even going to talk about my academic achievements because, well, <laughs> I'm a professional podcaster, so clearly it's worked out well. Um, your freshman year, golf-wise, <clears throat> excuse me, your freshman year, um, you know, obviously we can look at how many rounds you played, not, uh, you know, it took you a while to kind of get your feet wet and kind of balance. And you're seeing freshmen that are coming in. Um, you know, last year was, uh, Carl Phillips and Michael Thorbornson's first year, obviously COVID complicated a lot of things, but how did you maybe assist them or advise them, uh, as far as getting acclimated to Stanford drawing on your experiences as a freshman? Yeah, I think that with Carl in particular, um, there was a strange connection in the sense that, so my freshman year, I actually, I played our first tournament, which was at Colonial, funny enough, where, oh, where nice. we played a handful of weeks ago. And then I broke my wrist after that. And so I was, I was out for, yeah, more or less the whole season. I don't, I don't recall really being able to play until like April uh, in the spring. And so, yeah, I, I redshirted that year and, um, you know, had a great time, had some great teammates and, and really did enjoy that freshman year. But from a golf standpoint, that year kind of became a wash. And so, you know, Carl came in and was struggling with a little bit of an injury and um, just just kind of trying to rehab it and, and get things back together. And so he and I were able to connect connect on that front. Um, I think it was a finger, yeah, then, finger injury he had, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. He had surgery and then just kind of nagged him for a little while. Um, but fortunately he's, he's kind of going in the right direction with that at this point. And then, you know, with Michael, uh, this, this is funny, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, Michael's girlfriend goes to Duke. I, I dated a girl for a while who went to Chapel Hill. Uh, we were able to connect over that, you know, there you, the, go. The, uh, you know, going to a different school and, um, navigating that it's, it's different. I mean, he's from the East coast as well. And so, just kind of not some natural connections there of, you know, dealing with things from, from East coast to West coast and, you know, living in an all new place, um, you know, trying to connect with your teammates. I think that's a big thing that that's absolutely crucial. The, the guys that connect with the team early, you just have such a solid group to lean on and guys that don't do as good of a job, not necessarily because, you know, people don't like them, but just maybe they don't make as much of an effort. Um, you know, you just don't kind of have that group to fall back on when school starts to get a little bit harder and, and you don't really know where to go for this class or that class. And right. so uh, those are some of the big things, just just kind of getting those guys 
on their feet, you know, telling them which classes they should think about and which classes they should absolutely not think about, <laughs> um, you know, and, and trying to make things as, as easy as possible for them off the bat. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you came back for this sixth year and obviously you guys are having a great fall, you know, picked up that win at Colonial, like we talked about. And, you know, if there was ever a time for, for senior leadership, it's gotta be this year, you know, you have these freshmen coming in or I, I know they're sophomores now, but it really kind of feels, I'm sure you'd agree that this is kind of the first full somewhat normal season that they've had. And, um, and, and, I know that it's all in good fun, but, but how old do they make you feel sometimes? <laughs> um, yeah, th- yeah. There's some days where they make me feel really old. Um, <laughs> yeah, no two ways about it. I was actually saying to a guy that I played with at, uh, at Olympia fields in our first event this year, who was also, uh, he was maybe in his fifth year, but we were like the same age. I was like, you know, some days I feel like we're the same age, you know, me and, and some of the younger guys. It doesn't feel like we're that far apart at all. Right. And then, and then I snap my fingers and they start talking about like, I don't even know what they're talking about because it's that, it's that right. absurd and uh, how much, how much older I am in, in some regards. And I feel like I'm like 40. They start talking about like trading cards or like, like iPhone games or something yeah. like that. And, uh, maybe I'm just a little too mature for my age as well, but uh, but nonetheless, there are times when yes, they they definitely make me feel old. But yeah, yeah the things I've seen this uh, this fall traveling at at collegiate golf tournaments and being close with some of the teams, and I'm just like I I gosh, I can't even fathom being that age again. It just uh, yeah, don't even, yeah, no thanks. You throw on a a Monday night football game when we're out of tournament. And we feel like we're all the exact same age, but right. then the game goes off and they start playing video games. And I decide I'm going to like crack a book open. Oh my God. And that, uh, that similar age, you know, kind of, kind of widens by about 10 years. So there you go. So I definitely want to talk a little bit more about, you know, what's in store for, for this season. But as I mentioned, member of the 2019 national championship team and, you know, I, I had Brandon and I had Isaiah on the podcast previously, but our episode was recorded, I believe, right around March or April of that spring season. So I, I went back and looked at that. I went back and looked at some of your tournaments. And, you know, the easy thing to do is look back and say, yep, you you beat Texas in the final. And, uh, you know, really the nucleus of that team was you and Brandon Wu and Isaiah Salinda. All three of you grabbed the, the three points needed to win, and you know there's the picture of you guys holding the trophy, and then we're all done. But I went back and looked at it, and the reason I wanted to go through this with you is be, not just for you to walk down memory lane, but also to kind of illustrate to people listening just how dynamic college golf can be, just how quickly things can change, and also, in my opinion, just how exciting collegiate golf can be if you really take a look at some things. So... February 9th in 2019, Stanford finishes 13th out of 18 teams at the Amerari Invitational in Hawaii. I don't even know how to pronounce that. I've given up trying, so if that's correct, then great. But I anyway, the term in Hawaii, you finish 13th out of 18 teams. You finish as a team two over par. Oklahoma State wins that tournament at 47 under par. You lost by 49 shots. Do you, rem- sick. 
Do you remember? Don't, don't worry. The story. By the way, at the oh, end, vividly. Yeah. No, yeah. Okay. I, I remember but, that. but but just so you know, at the end of this story, you end up winning the national championship. So don't worry. This is right. all going to end up fine. Okay. So um, you lose by forty nine, and although it's probably not a tremendously long flight home because you're in California, it's still from Hawaii to California, and you're flying back. Um, where is the team mentally at that point on February 9th on the flight home? Yeah, not in the, not in the hottest of places. <laughs> I will, I will call out that a bunch of now myself not being included, but a bunch of California guys going and playing in Hawaii. It's like super grainy Bermuda over there. And so, right. I mean, what a fantastic trip. However, we, we just, have never played well there. I think I've played there. I think I've played it three times, and uh, yeah, thirteenth is about as well as we've done, if if I remember correctly. Okay. But but I, you know, I really do remember now that you you call that out, being there at the the award ceremony, and Oklahoma State won, and I I'm pretty sure that Wolf won individually. Maybe maybe someone else won it that year, but if he didn't win, he came in second and maybe Hovland was up there as well. I mean, you know, that I think it's pretty easy to guess that, that those guys are probably at the, at the top of the leaderboard, but sure. uh, I mean, they were what 15 under probably individually. And you said 47 under as a team. And I do remember standing there just thinking like, what game were they playing this week? Or, or, or maybe better put what game were we playing? Because the, the 69, the cute little 69 that I shot today that I felt kind of good about is just like not even close to a good round relative to guys winning this thing. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a nice starting point to, to again, our, our little walk down memory lane, which I'm always happy to do then. I can, I can do this all day. Perfect. But, uh, well, yeah, well, was, well, yeah, Wolf, it Wolf wanted, yeah, Wolf wanted at 18, Bo, uh, Boshu tied, tied second at 15. Hovland eighth place at eleven, yeah. So those are the three studs that uh, that week. And then obviously you got Hayden Wood, and, and oh by the way, you got Eckroat, who you know I mean, Eckroat is your four guy. So anyway, so I just but I, but so we start there, and you know the messaging from Coach Ray. I mean, what what does he say at that point? Because he sees that the season is kind of like okay, we're gonna have to kind of right the ship here or do something. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back even further. And okay. I remember having – we had a really bad fall, and our last tournament was, was Georgia Tech where we played two weeks ago and didn't have a good result there. I don't remember every event that we would have played, but we didn't play well in much of anything. And we worked really hard in the off season. I mean, we got after it workout-wise and then continued to practice even after the season ended. Usually – we wrap up kind of beginning of November. And from that point, it's kind of a, Hey guys will do their own thing. It's not like no one's going to practice, but more or less we'll see you in early January to really get back after it as a team. Right. And I remember the coaches and, and the guys on the team as well, just kind of agreeing, like, we're just going to, we're not going to do that. We're just going to keep practicing. Like, even if it's not, you know, air quotes required, right. Um, right. We're, we're going to do team practice and just keep rolling. And so, you know, we felt like we had, had worked pretty hard for it and showed up to our first tournament and played terribly. And, and I remember, I remember a speech after the first or second round from coach, um, kind of saying all those same things of like, look, you guys have worked for it. And at some point you just got to show up because right now we are just flat out not showing up to play. Um, 
and and yeah, kind of from a team perspective, I recall us just just taking the mindset that you know the ball don't lie pretty much at some point if we keep working then things are just going to fall our way um and as as we kind of keep rolling here we'll we'll start to see that they did but it, that was definitely that was definitely a pretty dark place you know you go from from not playing well and then working really hard thinking that you're going to right the ship and you know the ship really just kind of keeps taking a wrong turn and um you know at some point that that starts to work on you pretty hard yeah you go in right after that tournament. You you go to the Prestige in, at PGA West. You know, tied for sixth. Okay, we're starting to to right the ship a little bit. Southern Highlands in Vegas. You come in third, and that's the last tournament of the season that you did not win. So, um, you know, you do go your home tournament. You win that one. Now, what's really interesting though is you'd think, okay. Um, you know, now that now the the, the tide's been turned, the, the team is solidified. You're you don't even have a consistent lineup other than you and Brandon and Isaiah. You're four and five guys, or or let well, obviously you're qual- everyone's qualifying different spots. So one one week maybe you're playing the three, then maybe you're the two, then the four. But for for this conversation, you and Brandon or Isaiah pretty much played the entire spring, and then you have a different lineup for. The Prestige for Southern Highlands for the Goodwin, I think for the Western Intercollegiate. I'm pretty sure that that may have been the first that that may have solidified with Snyder and um and and Dolette as the four and five guys. But you actually spent the, spent that entire spring not only trying to find your games but also trying to find a lineup. How is that distracting or how challenging is that when you kind of you're still going through qualifying all the time? Yeah, it certainly can be. I mean, I think that things shape up pretty nicely for us in that with the spring in that we, we get enough of a body of work for everybody out of the tournament rounds where everybody gets to play in Palm Springs, everyone gets to play at the Goodwin, and then usually at the Western, it's always six people that play, and, and we might even get a couple individuals, which I, I believe that year we did, and so you know, between those three tournaments at a minimum call it eight guys are going to get out there. And so you don't have to lean as much on just kind of the random, like, Hey, go play Friday, Sunday out at Stanford, and see, okay. see what happens. You get to actually go out in tournaments. And at that point, at least um, everyone on the team kind of gets the sense of, all right, well, if this guy beats me in a tournament, then he probably is just playing better. Right. He, he should be playing. And, um, you know, Snyder really started playing great then. Um, he, he plays Stanford really well. Postiempo is a great course for him. I mean, that, that guy's short game is just an absolute joke. His short game in putting, I don't know if you've ever seen him play. I haven't. Um, but I, I truly don't think there's anyone else. If I had to make an up and down, I mean, I cannot think of anyone else, at least that I've been around, that, that I would want to put in more than him. And so he, he started to play really well around the, the Goodwin and then the Western Intercollegiate. And then we host regionals at Stanford. He played great there as well. Um, and and Dalet really just kind of became a model of consistency for us. I think that's that's what we ended up looking for out of that five spot is is just someone that we know can can kind of play pretty solid every single day. You don't have to be great. You just kind of need that upper bound to be not too high. And the real magic there, as you talk about finding a lineup, is 
you, you need to have a four and five guy, maybe that aren't shooting 66s, but that can play solidly enough to where your one, two, and three players start to feel as if, okay, well, if I do get off to a bad start and I'm four over through seven holes or something like that, I don't have to panic because my, my four and five guy are going to play just fine. And so that frees you up to then say, all right, well, I'm just going to get after it and see if I can get it back to even or under par. And if I don't, then that guy's going to have my back. But it's when you're kind of playing and thinking, well, the five guy might shoot 80 anyway. And so I don't really know if I get after it here and try to make some birdies, if that's going to really cost us a ton of shots, that's where it starts to get complex. And so being able to piece together that lineup where, particularly Wu and Isaiah, um, myself kind of falling in the middle of being a solid player that can throw in some good rounds as well. But, but particularly for those guys who had just such hot springs, right? I think piecing together those four and five players that they knew they could rely on to, to just be solid at, at the worst day to day is what really unlocked their games. And then the team as well, because, you know, it all starts to snowball. Once those guys start to feel confident, that makes everyone else feel more confident. The whole thing just becomes really fun. It becomes it becomes pretty addicting. And so that's, that's kind of the real magic in my mind of, of piecing together that five-man lineup is the way that it makes people feel out on the golf course more so than just looking at the scores in and of themselves. Now, you and I are talking about this mindset of, of thinking, okay, I'm a, I'm a one or a two or a three player and, and you know, I'm, I'm running into trouble, but that's okay. I got a five-man behind me. Um, and this kind of falls into just another topic of how much, you know, how much are you thinking about this or how much is coach Ray communicating this to you during a round? Because that's, what's kind of unique about college golf. You know, it's, it's five guys play the, the top four scores count. Is that being communicated to you during a round where, you know, coach is saying, Hey, listen, you're, you're four over with four to play. Um, you know, I, I need, I really need a 75 out of you because, um, you know, the, the five guy is, is eight over or, uh, look, you know, we have the 75 locked up. So if you want to, you know, turn it loose and see if you can get us a 73, go for it. If you don't, then it's okay. We got it covered. Are those conversations happening on the golf course with, with you and coach Ray or do you, Maybe not during that stretch, but have you? Do you recall any time that that kind of a conversation is happening? You know, not on a consistent basis, but but they certainly do. I okay, mean, I've, I've absolutely been told, kind of through the last four or five holes, like you know, you can really only help us. It, usually, it comes more from that standpoint okay. of okay. you're you're on the fifteenth hole and you're the last guy out. You're one over par. You've got three guys who are three under. Okay, they're going to count. And then your next guy is at even. And, you know, it's not just a full unlock to just let it rip because that guy at even could could maybe make a double or something right. like that. But for the most part, the mindset then becomes, hey, the, the best thing that happens here is you can you can make two, three birdies and get to one or two under, and then you, you cut that guy. And if you shoot even par or one over, then let's just hope that, that he doesn't back up and, and so you're not going to help us anyway. So, yeah, that stuff has certainly happened. But – I would not say on a consistent basis um, that I'm, I'm constantly being told okay. this is exactly kind of where things sit uh, with the rest of the team. Okay. Yeah, I was curious because, like I said, it's it's such a unique aspect of college golf. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very fascinated with how those conversations occur 
out on the golf course because when when you're playing an individual event, you know when you're playing USAM, you're playing you know that obviously is is out the window. Those things aren't happening. So yeah, I think it's individual to the player as well. I mean, some okay. guys uh, some guys want to know that stuff, right? I, though, I mean, for better or for worse, I think that you'll you'll see some subplots of guys might uh, you know have have a bet on a given day, just like hey, I want to I want to go see if I can beat you out there, and so they might be thinking about am I am I in a good spot to beat one of my teammates on, on a given day. Um, and so they, they just really enjoy tracking the scores and it, it, it's, it's the same as leaderboard watching out on tour, you know, right. certain players really want to know where they sit relative to others. And some guys want to just go out and play their hardest. That's always where I've been. Like, I don't, I don't really want to know where anyone else sits for the most part. I kind of just want to play my game. I don't think that positively it's gonna it's gonna make any effect on my game to know where other guys sit you can you can very much sense it at the end of the day to be honest with you like when I connect with coach out on let's say I'm on the 13th hole and I see him in the fairway I can tell if we're having a really good day or a really bad day or something kind of in between and it's not really going to change a whole lot for me to say okay so how good is this day or how bad is this day or how average is this day you know I just want to kind of say Look, I'm I'm even through 13. I'd love to get to two or three under, and I'm just going to try to do that regardless of where things sit. Because just shooting the lowest score that I can day to day—that's the best way that you can help the team. Yeah, no, 100. Um, percent You guys win. You know, you guys win at the Western. Isaiah gets his his you know first and only collegiate win. Then you go into Pac-12s. You win that. You win regionals, and now you're at the blessing for the national championship. And you guys are really you know other than oklahoma state you guys are really one of the hottest teams obviously in the country and you play that way and you you go through the first three rounds i think you guys are probably in second place on a stroke play uh oklahoma state's going nuts again they end up winning stroke play by 30 um and then you guys have your fourth round and uh, i think there's i know that brandon shoots 81 i think you shoot 80 i think there's another 80 in there somewhere i mean it, it for all the great things that were done in the first three rounds of this national championship because you got to get to the 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 top eight so you go to match play you got to get there i think you guys pretty much had it locked up after the first three rounds but then really things fall apart um you still get in but i get i'm i'm guessing this is not the way you wanted to go into match play much like conversations that you've had with coach, you know, after the term in Hawaii, do you recall the conversation that was had at the end of the fourth round? I do. Um, yeah, that was, that was not a fun experience. I mean, we went from pretty much having it in the bag, as you say, to it being nerve wracking. I mean, yeah. that was, that was the only time in my career that I really remember the feeling of, I really, really hope that I'm not accounting score today. Right. Because I, I just I got off to a tough start. I had a bad front nine. I think I took like I don't know twenty three putts or so. I, I three putted like five times on the front nine, if I remember correctly. And um, I just remember turning, thinking, I really, really hope that I'm like four shots worse than everyone else on the team. And the first time I saw a leaderboard was maybe on the twelfth, and I recognized that everyone else was pretty much playing as badly as I was yeah. and that it just, it was not a guarantee that we were going to even get into match play at that point. Uh, but, but fortunately we did, we kind of righted the ship to, to some degree coming down the stretch there and we're able to hold on and grab the, I don't know if we were six or seven, but six. I did the six, six seed. Yeah. You know, I, I do remember coach maybe 
I think he kind of chalked it up to, Hey, you're probably going to have a bad day on this golf course. And, and this was ours. So now we can just kind of let it rip my thoughts. Personally, I remember us just talking all year about how cool would it be to, to make it to match play and first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth, we're in match play. And right. so I saw no reason to be frustrated with how the last round went or where things where things sat at that point, whether we were the two seed or the six seed, as we all know, in any sport, when you get to a match play format, absolutely anything can happen. We didn't have Oklahoma state because no one wanted them in the first round of match play or any round of match play for that matter. And so I just remember being so fired up regardless of how that last round went just to have a chance at it because I truly believe that anyone has a chance once you get to match play. I mean, that's been proven time and time again, not just in golf, but, but anything else. And so it was for me just kind of a euphoric feeling really that, Hey, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but we got through and now we have an opportunity. Let's go do something with it. Yeah. I remember um, a lot about that, that championship. And, uh, you know, I just remember looking at these matches and, and how they, um, you know, how everything kind of played out. Uh, I still remember, uh, I don't know if you were physically there or saw it happen live, but I, I, I'll never forget watching, um, you know, Boshu horseshoe that putt to lose to Texas. Um, and then obviously you faced Texas in the final. You had to get through Vandy in the semifinals. You, you kind of got dealt a pretty tough hand. You had Augustine in the semis. You had uh, Alex Fitzpatrick in the quarters from Wake. And then, uh, and then you have Seussman in in the final. But you know, you and and Isaiah and Wu delivered the the three points needed. All three sessions, you win three to two. It really just doesn't get any closer than that. Um, I, I mean, it has to be the highlight of your your collegiate career. From and especially you know us going through. And I appreciate you just kind of sharing some of the the moments of that spring because, I mean, to get to where you were from where it started. And then also just all the things going right, but all the fluctuations of the lineups and and just everything that kind of came through. You have to look back. I mean, you're still on that team. You're still there at Stanford. But And also, you know, it has to feel like a little bit ages ago because of COVID. There's just so many different things that are coming into play. But looking back on that, the accomplishment has to be like, oh, okay, wow, we really did that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, and... – what I really take from it at this point, being being the old guy that's able to reminisce reminisce on things a little bit, is that you know good golf is is really never that far away. If you're willing to work at it just a little bit harder, I mean, it wasn't that long as as you kind of went through the timeline there. There was not that much time in between when we were finishing 13th at the Amorari to when we went to Vegas and we didn't win that week, but we made a really good run at it. Kind of had a few bad holes down the stretch but you know that was that was a national championship quality field and we finished third and to be completely honest with you it, it did not feel much different at all we, we kind of just got things rolling a little bit the first round I remember shooting four or five under on a pretty hard golf course out in Vegas and yeah I played a great round but you know four or five under is not that different than one or two under you make another couple putts and all of a sudden you have a good day. A couple teammates do the same thing. Wow. We've been finishing 10th every week and now we're second on the leaderboard. And yeah. that's all, that's kind of all there is to it. And and once you kind of start to feel that it really can become rather contagious in, in a team environment. And so that's what I really take away from it is that 
you know, anytime things aren't going great, if, if you're com- if you just stay confident and kind of lean into that team environment, then some pretty cool things can start to happen. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on, on what went on with us last spring. You know, we had an unfortunate situation with some of the COVID policies out here at Stanford and didn't get a chance to go to the national championship. But, um, but on a, on a more positive note with last spring, you know, we, we kind of struggled to, to get things going. We started super late again, going to some of the COVID policies yeah. out here. We didn't get going until the end of February and, and struggled to get our feet under us. But, you know, that was my message, especially as, you know, you talk about Carl and Michael, some of the younger players uh, going through the spring is that one, one team day, you know, one round where all of a sudden, rather than it just being a few pedestrian 71s and you shoot four or five under, when you have that day where three or four guys go shoot 66, it just, it feels a little bit different and we can all shoot 66. We know that. And if you put them together on the same day, there you go. That's a, that's a really big team day. And we did that in the final round of the PAC 12 championship. And I mean, it is, it is very tangible, that sort of energy that happens as a team. So anyway, I'm kind of going on a tangent. No, now, you're but good. That's, you're good. I just, that's, that's, um, that's the real recollection from, from that spring is that, you know, one day, if you, if you kind of keep that mentality can, can really make you ride the high and, and take you to places that seem really far away. But once again, it's just not, it's not that hard. Now I I had another thing I wanted to ask you, and this is not because of Stanford's challenging academics. This is something that maybe people that follow collegiate golf don't take into consideration um, you obviously have to shoot the scores. There's a lot of travel. There's a lot of you guys being out in California. You're you're crossing a lot of time zones. You know your your sleep gets messed up. Um, you got to figure out a way to be healthy. You got to figure. You know, there's a lot of things that go into it. How much of a concerted effort do your teammates kind of keep everyone in check on keeping academics and all those responsibilities? up to par. I hate that pun, but, but like how important is it to make sure no one's falling behind academically because not just staying, uh, you know, eligible. I don't mean that. I mean, you know, not allowing someone to fall, you know, back on their, on their schoolwork to the point where, you know, they're trying to play a good round, but they know they have two papers due the next day or something like that. Is that in the culture of, of the program? It definitely is. I mean, we've, we've never really had a lot of issues as you, as you kind of alluded to there with like eligibility stuff, but it's a very real thing that when we go on the road, like we we have to do a lot of work and, and especially as you get deeper into the quarters, you're going to have some week sevens, week eights, where you might have a paper or two papers or a big P set. And um, that, that work can become that much more difficult when you're just sitting in yourself, sitting by yourself in a hotel room and, you don't have the ability to go to office hours and connect with any TAs or anything like that. And so, you know, if you, if you push off a really hard piece set deep into a week and then, and then you have to travel, you're in a pretty tough spot. And so it's definitely a very real thing that when we know we're getting ready to leave on a weekend, like I'll, I'll start to ask guys like, Hey, where's your schoolwork at? You know, do you have, do you have papers this week? Do you have P sets? And what's a a piece set? I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry, it's it's, yeah, it's been it's been so long, Henry, since I've been at Stanford. <laughs> so um, I I don't recall that when when I was there, you know, studying basket weaving. So what what's a piece of? It, 
it's a uh, problem set. So uh -huh. in technical classes, they refer to your homework assignments just as gotcha. problem sets or, uh, or affectionately dubbed as, as P sets. Gotcha. But uh, anyway, you know, it's, it's something that we'll start to cover kind of early in the week of, you know, going around the horn and saying, Hey, do you, do you have things squared away? And someone kind of brushes it off. It's like, Hey, no, seriously, do you, do you have it squared away? Because I have seen more than a few guys, have to stay up until 1, 2, 3 a.m. wrapping up work before the final round of, of an important event. And so um, that to me is the big thing is, is when you know you're getting ready to travel, you know, sometimes like we'll be five days out from a tournament and maybe my practice levels are slightly down and coach will give me a little nudge of, hey, why haven't you been out here? It's like, hey, because I, I really don't want to be doing 12, 15 hours of schoolwork on the road this week. I would right. much rather – go ahead and get that taken care of and practice as we get, you know, into those last few days before the tournament and be able to really just have my mind and everything focused on golf when we're actually there. I'm really glad you mentioned that and that we found our way into this topic because it's something that not just collegiate players uh, that listen to this podcast, parents that listen to it, juniors, I think juniors would take a big lesson. I hope you're taking a big lesson away from what Henry just said because this is a guy that has won a national championship. This guy plays at one of the premier programs in the country and is just as important as it is to get into the gym or, you know, work on wedges and, you know, check your numbers on track, all that golf stuff. Yes, very important. But I'm sure you can think back of, to over your entire career tournaments or rounds that you clearly know that that guy probably didn't play his best because there were other things off the golf course that that took time away and took his mind away from it. Yeah, no question. I mean that a lot of the time, especially in, in amateur events over the summer, like that'll kind of be my goal going into the weeks. And, and I know at that point you're not dealing with schoolwork, so it might be not the greatest of sidebars, but just. I feel as if when I can take care of things off the golf course, you know, sleep nicely and stretch properly, try to eat the right way. If I can get myself physically, mentally in the best spot to just be able to go out on course and, and have it feel as simple as possible and not have any, any sort of wrenches thrown into the situation. That's what, that's what makes me play my best. You know, the practice and all that stuff, like you take care of that or you don't, and at that point you get to a tournament and the amount that you've practiced, that's not going to change. That's not something you can control by the time you tee it up. But what you can control is, did you really get to bed at the right time last night? Did you eat breakfast? Did you eat the proper breakfast? Did you stretch before the round? Did your warm up go decently? Did you, you know, a lot enough time for all of that? And it becomes that much more complex at the collegiate level when, when you have schoolwork thrown into that situation and, and, and other things as well. And so, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing for me. Tournament weeks is like, just do the little stuff. You know, we do a lot of work going into it. We, we invest a lot of resources to try to play well as do as do all other schools. And there's a lot that goes into it. And so the last thing you want to do is, is get to a tournament week and not kind of clear those last few hurdles that are really going to determine whether or not you, you play well or not. There's a lot more than just hitting, hitting the ball in it. Yeah, no doubt. That's at the end of the day, and especially when you get to when you get far enough into it, hitting the ball is, is maybe the easiest part of it all. To be honest with you, interesting. So you came back for your final year. Um, 
you know, what what went into that decision? I mean, you've won a national championship, you know, from someone on the outside looking in, you know, what else do you really have to accomplish? You know, if you have professional aspirations, you might as well, you know, rip the Band-Aid off and just jump in and get started. Um, you know, what, what led to your decision to come back um, to, to Stanford to, for another another season? Yeah, you know, as you put it at face value, it, it does seem a little bit odd, but, you know, the, the deeper conversation around is I've really only played two real seasons of, of college golf. My freshman year, we touched on earlier, I sure. was injured for essentially the whole thing. Sophomore year, normal year, everything square. Junior year obviously went really nicely. That was the year that we won the national championship. And then senior year, come back, played, what, we played eight events or something like that before getting sent home for COVID. And felt like our team was really kind of starting to go in the right direction. We had a big week at, uh, at Cabo, um, which was the final event before the whole pandemic hit. We were kind of having a similar sort of story to, to 2019 where slow fall, slow start to the spring. And then I remember in Cabo, us, us getting up close to the leaderboard or to the top of the leaderboard and a really tough field. And, and then of course we all get sent home and never be heard of again. And then 20, whatever last year was, we, you know, timeline gets a little bit tough at this point, 2020, 2021. Um, you know, we only played like five events. And so I knew all along that I was going to do five because I had that red shirt year, my freshman year. And so right. staying five, um, you know, doing a master's program that was, that was in my plans all the way through the sixth year only became an affordance of, of the pandemic. And at first I, I really didn't think that it was going to be something that I have a whole lot of interest in, but you know, with, with the way that our season ended last year, I, I got to a point where I just, I hemmed and hawed on it for quite a while and really came to where I didn't think that I had to leave just because it had been, you know, this many years, right. you know, I, I kind of, you kind of go through the thinking of, Hey, you just, you can't stay this long. You know, at some point you, you got to get on with it and you've had some, some strange things happen with, with COVID and, you know, we had um, a, a strange ending, ending to our year last year and, my mindset for a while was, you know, that's just the rub of the green and, and it's unfortunate that your career has to end in a funny way, but it is what it is. And then I remember having a conversation with coach Ray when he was just like, you know, it's, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, you actually don't have to end your career that way. Like you do have this extra year and they're really at the end of the day, is absolutely nothing wrong with, with you using it. I think, or at least I hope that, that most of my teammates and coaches are, are pleased to still have me around. And so, um, I got to the point where I felt like I was still really enjoying being around everybody and was able to add value. Still, still am able to add value to the team, um, and and have just had a blast doing it. And so, I'm I'm very pleased with the decision that I've made and, and that I had the opportunity to do so. And I'm guessing that Coach likes the fact that there's another person that's old enough to rent a van. <laughs> not quite oh i, I oh, can't you're... quite get a rental car i'm oh, not 25 oh okay okay all right well you're, you're no getting... no no we, we we still have about a year to go okay all right but all right. uh yeah no i i mean a sidebar from that you know i i do feel like i'm probably oh i know i know where you're going with this i think i know where you're going with this but you go ahead i think i'm i think i'm 65 no eh, yeah let's say 65 percent player 
thirty-five percent coach. Okay, I'd be very, I'd be very interested to hear what what Coach Ray has to say about that. Well, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's more like seventy-five twenty-five. I'm, I'm flattering myself, but uh, well, just just you bringing up the the fact that you're checking up on the guys to make sure they got their schoolwork done. Uh, I mean, that's but that's a big thing for a leader to do. I mean, that's a thing where you know, I mean, look at that age for you to go to one of the guys in the team and say, okay, um, I need to know right now, are you ready to go? You know, this is the same thing about asking someone, Hey, are you injured or are you hurt? Can you play? Um, you know, be honest with me. Oh, you ha- you don't have your schoolwork squared away. That's going to be a problem for us. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a really, you have to have a good solid communication structure within the team to be able to call someone out and say, look, dude, you're, you're not, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting the team if you show up at this tournament and you have things on your mind. Uh, yeah, I, I just think that's a that's a huge, huge thing. I don't think I've ever touched on that before on an episode. I'm glad I did because that's just a, you know, when you wonder why a player has a good week one week and then just doesn't show up the following week, there's all these different, oh, it's a different course and he just didn't, he didn't putt well. But you also got to remember, you, got, you, have, you have classwork you got to take care of too. Yeah. Well, and, and, and on that end, you know, kind of sticking with the conversation of why, why would you have come back for a sixth year? I think that that sort of line of thinking went into it as well. I mean, I'm, I'm super passionate about being a leader and, and trying to hone my skills in leadership and, and be around this group of players that's so talented. And it, it does put a, an amount of pressure on me that I really appreciate and enjoy in that, you know, I, I have to show up. Golf is what it is. I, I hope I show up most in, most every week and play pretty well. But, you know, from just kind of a check in the boxes and, and being on point and dealing with my business the way that, that you need to for everybody to play well, like I can't miss. I kind of have to show up right. to, to whatever outing it is. You know, I, when you're a younger guy on the team, like you get a little bit of grace here and there if you – if you didn't, you know, get to bed until 4 a.m. before a workout or whatever it is, you, you're not on point for practice one day. But in my position, like, I can't miss on those ends. I got to show up and be very much on point every single day and, and, you know, set the standard for everybody else. And so, yeah, sure, that comes with an amount of pressure. Um, but that's that's what I was kind of signing up for. Um, and, and I enjoy that. And, and I hope that that other guys um, learn, just learn a little bit from it because I, I very much enjoy kind of the, the lead by example sort of mentality. You're uh, you're getting ready to do a very similar schedule in the fall. I'm sorry, in the spring, as you did in the national championship run, you're going to go back to, <laughs> you're going to go play the Bermuda greens in Hawaii in February again. And, and you'll be at the prestige. You'll go to Cabo um, I mean, a lot of the same tournaments, obviously not going to be hosting a conference this year. Um, but, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have a lot of these same tournaments. What's, uh, you know, the, the career is going to come to an end. What's, what's one of the spots and you can't say Cyprus again. Don't say that. We've <laughs> done that. Um, what, what's one thing you're going to miss the most about college golf? Mm, that word Cabo is sticking with me. That's for sure. No, that's a, it's a heck of a tournament, but uh, yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, it does just come down to um, being around the team, um, being with the coaches, you know, the, the trips are so fun, all the team dinners that we get to do. And I, I've just kind of, I've gotten to a point where I really do appreciate the practices that kind of suck 
and when you have to show up to a workout and you know that you're going to be ripping some cardio at the end and it kind of sucks like the rest of your life yeah you're going to do that stuff as well but you probably are going to do it by yourself and it's just not going to be quite as much fun you know like we we had a practice today where I didn't finish the whole thing. It was kind of a progression and depending on how, how well you do, you may or may not really finish it in the, you know, two, two and a half hours that we were allotted to do. So um, it's, it, it got really windy out there. It started raining. Like it's not super fun, but it, it face value, but, but that that's the piece of it that, that you have to kind of come to enjoy is the fact that you're doing it with, with a group of guys that you enjoy being around and, you know, just embracing the difficulty of it all is not only how you get better, but, but that's the part of it that, that I'm going to miss is, you know, some of the challenges just become rather than, than a challenge, they just become something that's super enjoyable. I don't think I've ever asked you this, uh, whether it's at a tournament or anywhere else, but do you want to turn professional when you're done? I mean, you have the, this great educational, uh, I mean, you're, you're walking out of Stanford with two degrees and you seem like you're destined for more than just chasing a ball around. Um, have you thought that far ahead as to what you want to do after your collegiate career at Stanford? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll answer it completely honestly, that it's never been like top of mind for me to turn professional. Um, you know, I'm going to continue. Like, I, I kind of like this subplot of we have the PGA Tour U rankings, and I do believe that you know anyone that's able to play well enough to get status through that would probably be a bit foolish to not at least try it. Right. Um, if I if I continue to play well throughout the rest of the year, I think I certainly have an opportunity to to shake out in a good spot there. And so I'm chasing that really hard. I'm working on my game, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's never been kind of top of mind for me to pursue golf professionally. Now, as I touched on before, I do absolutely love everything that goes into trying to play well in tournaments as well as playing in tournaments themselves. And so by no means does not pursuing a professional career mean that I won't continue to play competitively, Right. whether it's on, you know, the mid-am circuit oh, or continuing no. to play in, oh, no. play in U.S. amateurs. Yeah, I know that's a whole that's a whole different conversation. But could, um, could you possibly be the one to dethrone Hagestad as the best mid amateur in the country? Easy now. We might need to have a three ball on that one. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I could Hagestad be. I've, I've I've gotten in his ear a little bit already, but uh, uh, well, I mean, it's uh, well Stanford USC showdown, but uh, oh anyway. Goodness. Yeah, this this is good. This is good. We're kind of unpacking it here. I'm, I assume we'll hear the episode. So I'll, oh, he's I'll give, oh he's I'll give you a shout out. Oh, he's locked but, in. Uh, yeah, he's he's yeah. It's always it's always fun when I get a phone call about two hours after an episode's posted. I look down at Tagestan. I'm like, oh god, what do I do now? To to flatter the man a little bit, I I have a long long way to go before I can get to that sort of situation. Yeah, he's but, not, um, he's not bad. He's not bad he's he's a golfer that's for sure yeah. and, he, and and he has a heck of a resume so um I, yeah i mean i could probably i could probably make it to the pga tour with as much difficulty as as it would take to get to where hagstad is or or maybe even more you know i mean he's Why he's did... done some incredible things but but anyway that aside um you know i absolutely want to continue to compete and and treat golf as something that that I enjoy doing. I mean, I have a lot of other passions within the game as well. Um, but, but competitive golf is, is first and foremost for me. Um, 
So I know that sounds a bit odd that, that no, I'm, I'm actually a fan of competitive I'm, I'm, golf that I don't want to do it for a living. Uh, but, but that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of not surprised. I'm, I'm really not surprised at your answer. Now, one would think that trying to balance a master's program and, and playing top level collegiate golf would take all of your time, but Oh no, not only are you a, 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 you know, championship golfer and, and a, uh, a excellent student at Stanford, you've decided to fall down into the muddy ranks of being a golf podcaster. You and I are colleagues, and that's that's a frightening thing to, 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 to think about. Talk to me about the genesis, and we're going to put links to your podcast called The Tie. We're going to put links to that in the show notes of this episode. Um, a lot of pe- people listening to this episode have also listened to me as a guest on your uh, podcast. So we'll put links to, to that in, in the show notes. Um, I know that, that you talked to me a little bit about this when you first started, but kind of share with listeners, um, it's you and your co-host, a friend from Charlotte, Walker Simus. So, uh, you know, educate me, sell, sell the listeners of this podcast on your podcast. Talk to me a little bit about the tie. Yeah, well, I appreciate you giving me the chance to do so. Um, you know, we, we, we run well, we've run out of time, Henry. I really appreciate you joining me on this. Set. No, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, you go ahead. Talk to me about the time. Kind of you to let me do so. But, uh, yeah, you know, pretty pretty common story, really, of people talking about starting a podcast. And, oh, yeah, I had a buddy that we, you know, have these conversations that seem pretty interesting. Maybe someone would want to listen. It's something along those lines, you know, I've Obviously, I played competitively. Walker played in college as well for Wofford College. And he, he actually worked for a bit in the golf course architecture space, which is um, something that I'm really interested in. And, you know, we both are just super passionate about the game, kind of from an architecture standpoint, as well as competition, as well as camaraderie and everything that goes into it. And he's the kind of guy that, you know, after I would go play a course or after he would get off a day on the job at, at somewhere that he worked, um, you know, on a golf course architecture, architecture project, we would just immediately hop on the horn and start talking about it. And so we just figured at some point that, Hey, we both have interest in listening to golf podcasts and other podcasts, and maybe we should just get after it and see how things go. And so we, we kind of got into it and started recording some episodes just for fun. You were a big part of that and, and guiding me with some of the early steps and uh, we, we've had a blast with it. And so, yeah, anyone that's into competition, architecture, kind of the, the common ground between all different aspects of the game, as, as well as some other things in there as, as well. We, uh, we had Joe Mayo on this week, who is my golf instructor. And I think about 40% of the conversation was Joe's theory that you really just shouldn't punt the ball. In, in football so <laughs> okay <laughs> all right it, it's not it's not just golf walker and i are really into food and coffee and fitness and all that sort of stuff so we we cover a lot of things but uh but i guess golf to to, to put it as simply as possible um kind of the crux of our show would be we like to interview people who are golfers in some way shape or form uh but there's more to them than than just playing golf and so you were, were a great guest coming on, talking about the Mid-Am, talking about your podcasting endeavors, talking about music, a lot of different stuff in there. So, 
Well, would highly recommend. Yeah, no, no. I think it's I think it's good to you know I I think that's probably gives you a little bit of creative freedom also throughout you know obviously the the schoolwork is is you know weighs heavy and then also you got to keep the game sharp and that's probably a nice way just to kind of unplug all that and just you know you know just uh you know look into just some other different topics so you had mr mr brandon Wu on the podcast and uh yeah you've had some uh had the head coach of yale men's golf team that had i gotta listen to that one colin sheehan it's a I good would, one i mean it's a good one there's a lot of brain power in that episode i'm I, i'm gonna need a thesaurus or some sort of a study guide to figure out i mean that's you got stanford and yale on one episode that's that's well funny enough uh per ncaa rules um I was not allowed being a college golfer myself. I was not allowed to, to talk to Colin. And so Walker did that episode. Most of our interview episodes are uh, just one-on-one. And so one of us will interview oh, somebody else. Okay. Um, okay. Which was, you know, I was, I was concerned about letting Walker do it because I've, I've kind of touched on Walker is a total golf course architecture junkie. I, I know, I guess more than most, but, but not nearly as much as he does. Okay. Colin also knows tons about golf course architecture. So I was like, Oh my goodness. You're like, like, what's gonna yeah, if, you're like, like if I turn these guys loose, I, I kind of had this agenda when, when I was going to talk to Colin of, all right, I want to get A, B, C, D, and E and Walker's going to talk to him. A is going to be golf course architecture. They're going to talk for an hour. There's and not going to be, be a B. over. Yeah. There's not going to be, but, a B. uh, but shout out to, to, to both of them. They did a great job with, with that episode. And, um, I do want to kind of substantiate just a little bit further of a point you were making there of, you know, it really has been an enjoyable process for me with, with having the competitive golf as, with, with college, as well as, you know, managing the master's degree of, you know, doing the podcast has really helped me just continue to enjoy the game. I mean, yeah. there, there are days where you go out and you shoot 74 and you're like, man, that was, that was not a lot of fun. And then you go in and you record a podcast about how much you enjoyed playing whatever course it is two weeks ago. And so, I, I really do think that not only has, you know, playing competitive golf allowed me to have some interesting things to talk about in a podcasting medium, but I think being able to talk about them and, you know, show and, and, and speak with a friend about the enjoyment of it has contributed to, to success on the course. It, it's just helped me enjoy the game a little bit more. And um, at the end of the day, I think that it, maybe it's not the same for everybody, but, but for me at least, when I'm out there really just kind of enjoying myself and, and, and that doesn't just mean laughing and, and joking around. It can be being pretty intense about it and enjoying playing well. But, but when I am, and I'm just having a good time competing, that's when I'm going to play my best. And I think that, uh, that the tie has, has had a big hand in that. So what you're saying is that if you start a golf podcast, you too yeah, you'll, could, you'll could, win, could, could win a national championship. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's what the high school golfers should really take away from this. I understand. Okay, yeah. Quit practicing. Yes. Start a podcast. Yes. Start drinking coffee. Yes. Conrad always tells me not to drink coffee, but stop. Start drinking coffee. Start a podcast, and you'll win a ring. It's it's pretty simple. Okay, I'm glad. I don't know why it took an hour and a half to come to that conclusion, but it did. Um, Wow. so I'm just thinking about like, you're going to be kind of torn. Like, you know, you at nationals at Greyhawk with the guys, I mean, part of you is going to want to be on the golf course, winning a point for the Cardinal. The other part of you is going to want to be with me with a microphone doing it. I mean, you're going to be really kind of torn, aren't you? 
Or are you gonna let me do People, that? You're gonna let me do that. You're I mean, gonna play golf. they're gonna have they're gonna have the cameras on me, and I'm having a, gonna have my scorecard out. They're gonna think I'm writing scores down, but in reality, I'm gonna be like taking notes, podcasting, podcasting notes. So, yeah. You know, is your is your yardage book cover gonna have Stanford on it, Fear the Tree, or is it gonna have like the tie? You have like a special podcast. I mean, because you know all this, and we didn't even get into NIL. We're not even gonna go there. Don't worry about that. We'll do that at a later time. So, oh yeah, no, it's it's the fear of the tree yardage cover, but it's a total front. There's not actually a yardage book in there. It's just my it's my notes for uh, the podcast. Okay. That's, yep, that's how you win. Love it. Just start a podcast. Um, all right. So what else uh, have, have we? We've covered a lot. Are we good, or do you think of anything else that I should hit on? Um, I think we're good, really. Um, I this mean, there, there are all sorts of other things we could, but yeah, it's it's been good. I think we got a lot of content in there um yeah not a whole lot else i can think of um all right let me close it we can definitely Perfect. do it we could do an and i mean i didn't i don't even know how i didn't even think about talking about nil but i i'm we don't need to that's that's we can do that another time so shoot that's a that's a conversation for michael thorbjornson not henry Shump. he's the one that's getting nil deals <laughs> i have my opinions of the matter but uh well, yeah, that's a I, question for him. All right, let me close the episode out, and then we'll uh, then we'll chat about that off the off the episode. Um, okay, so da, 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 da. well, um, now that we figured out what uh, what's in your yardage book at nationals, um, glad for clearing that up. But uh, I I think we've covered quite a bit in this episode. There's always time to do another one. So for now, we're gonna we're gonna end this one. But I do appreciate you you coming on, talking about your experience at Stanford obviously talking about the tie and uh hey let's uh let's try and reconnect in the spring uh enjoy your uh, enjoy your time off enjoy your time at pebble beach before you get to that uh, that little break but uh henry i appreciate you stopping by the back of the range it was fun yeah man appreciate you having me and you know we've completed the home and away now but yes we can make that a little series so check out the tie check out our first episode of ben and might be another one coming there another one on the back of the range we'll see love it and there you have it. Special thanks to Henry Shimp for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, Henry has a podcast of his own. It's called The Tie. You can find that on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Links are in the show notes of this episode, as well as links to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you're following the Back of the Range there. We'll see you next time for another episode here at the Back of the Range. <laughs>